God to lead us in our relationships, in our meaningful relationships. And again, like I said last week, more than just our meaningful relationships, our healthy, meaningful relationships. And if you're new with us this morning or newer to Life Center, we always teach in series as far as we take a month or so and we, we talk through a topic or uh, um, something that God wants to work on us in or help lead us in Him. And so this, in this series, we're, we're talking about growing in our uh, meaningful relationships and how we do that in a healthy way. And so whether you're a part of us here today regularly or new, uh, you can always watch what we're doing on live stream, but then also all of our messages are then podcasted out. And so you can find it on any of the major podcasting sites where you can follow along with, with, with what we're teaching. So if you do miss a message uh, and you're a part of our group here, you can always find those messages online and be able to follow along. Our Cornwall-specific ones, not just our other campuses in Orleans and Canada. So I encourage you to follow along with all these different messages we do that we teach in series to help you grow, even if you miss a week here and there. And again, this, this month's uh, series is going to be drawn on some work done by um, Pete and Jerry Scazzaro. They're pastors in a church down in New York. And their book that they wrote, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, is, um, is a part of how we're looking at this. And so feel free to look up their resources. That's Pete and Jerry, G-E-R-I, Schizero, C-S-C-A-Z-Z-E-R-O, Schizero. Nice Italian name. Italian? I think it's Italian. Um, so we would love for you to, if you want to, deeper dive into what we're talking about. You can go into some of their resources that they have. They have a book and uh, study guides and, and different things that you can do that can help you grow in this area. But I do want to encourage you again this week that this series, if you allow, if we do make room like we sang about this morning, if we make room, going through the series can be tough because it touches on our emotions. It touches on our behavior because of our emotions, how we treat each other, how we think of others and behave towards them, our, our thought patterns towards others and what we choose to think about them and how we judge them. All those things God will start to touch on if we allow him to, if we do make room. It's never easy to allow the Holy Spirit to refine us because that refining is usually like when you think about gold being refined, it's a, it's a melting down process to get rid of all the impurities. And when God wants to refine us, it feels similar to that where it kind of hurts to have some of those impurities in our lives uh, burned off per se. But when we allow God to do it, our experience is probably much like Aiden's in that video today where it's such a sweet presence of God that when he does that, when he burns off things that are, are not what he intended for us, what he leaves is a considerate and loving presence of his spirit with us to lead us and guide us. Now, we could again spend a year talking about relationships and how important they are and trying to give you some how-to tips and guides and things like that. But again, it wouldn't affect real change unless 
we go deeper to the other two issues. Because culturally, we have defined spirituality or spiritual maturity as being disconnected from emotional maturity. We've done that as a culture. And in the church, it rings so true for us that we can say like, wow, man, I know my Bible. I know things so well, and yet we don't treat people the way that Bible says we should treat people. We could have a degree in theology and yet treat others with disdain. That doesn't look like spiritually or emotionally mature. We can't call ourselves spiritually mature and look at others among us and make judgments based on their appearance or a few brief interactions with them. We can't call ourselves spiritually mature when our family relationships are in turmoil and we're right in the middle of it. We're right in the thick of it, playing a hot potato blame game. Everybody else is at fault for what's going on in our lives. Maybe we need to, um, we need some maturing if we've been hurt or broken, we've been rejected, used or abused, and it has stunted us from experiencing healthy emotional growth. That can often be a source of why even we are destructive in our relationships, because we haven't been allowed to grow in ourselves because of what's happened in our past. We know what the Bible says, and yet we seem to be blocked by words and actions from our past that present, that that affect our present relationships. And there's a healing that God has for us in subsequent maturing if we're again willing to make room for God. So again, as you can probably tell today, we're going to be looking at some family matters. We're going to be diving into that because we each have a family that we came from and none of us come from or can create a perfect family. As much as you may think yours is Insta-worthy and and Facebook-worthy of being awesome, none of our families are perfect. And when we follow Christ, we even belong to a bigger family, the family of God. And so there's all these family things that we need to take a look at. And I'd like us to use the following definition today to describe family, just so we're kind of on the same page when we talk about it. Family is an emotional system of two to four generations who move through life together in different places and at different times. Okay? We're going to use that as our definition. My story stretches back to Netherlands. My parents and grandparents, they emigrated from Netherlands after World War II. So they were foreigners here. They didn't speak English. They only spoke Dutch. My grandfathers, they were men who spoke little and emoted even less. And my parents, they bridged the gap between the Dutch culture and Canadian culture, not passing on much of those Dutch cultural practices or language on. They even left the Christian Reformed Church that was their heritage to attend a Pentecostal church. And my parents would end up divorcing and both being remarried again. That is a part of my story, what makes me who I am today. And we each have stories, as different as they are, that impact who we are today. The choices other people have made that we didn't have a choice in that have affected who we are today. And it's important that we look at those things to make sure we understand what's happened and how we can allow God to mature us through it. 
There's an interconnectedness between your story and their story, biological or not. And the same was true for a person we're going to look at in God's Word today, Joseph. We want to use his story to help us grow. His biological family had issues, like lots and lots of issues. And he, he was used by God to, to really establish the family of Israel uh, as a nation. See, Joseph was a favored son of his father, Jacob, whose name would change to be Israel because he was the father of that, that nation. So much so that his 10 older brothers who were from a different mother, they were so intensely, intensely jealous of him. Joseph would get them in trouble. They were all shepherding type of, type of people. And so when they'd be out and they'd be doing something stupid and dumb and whatever, he was the brother that would come back and say, Dad, guess what all they are, they're doing, right? Everybody has one of those siblings in their family, don't they? Right? Somebody who's willing to rat out everybody else for what they're doing wrong. That was Joseph because he was the favored one. He wasn't going to get in trouble with his father. And it drove his brothers crazy. But even more so on a deeper level, God had a plan and a purpose for Joseph's life. And he had been given dreams by God of potentially what was going to look like in the future. And he shares these dreams with his brothers and his parents. These dreams, the nature of these dreams, see him being elevated and his brothers actually being in service to him. And boy, does it ever drive them crazy to the point that they are willing to kill him, to get rid of him. They hate him so much. In the end, though, they sell him into slavery. A much better option, right? And then later in his life, he is falsely accused of raping someone, which led to him being imprisoned and soon forgotten there. But due to God's providence in his life and Joseph's faithfulness to God, he rises to be the second most important person in Egypt. And we can see what's been done to Joseph, but we can also see what God is doing in Joseph. And this is important to receive, no matter who you are. Whatever your family of origin isn't, God is. Whatever they were lacking in providing you, God will provide you. So don't feel like you're left out or a step behind because God will be your provider. And he doesn't say with a clause of like, well, I'm only going to provide this and I'm only going to provide that. And you, you have to come from a good family. And I prefer to be like a couple generations of, you know, following me if I'm going fo- to help you out. None of that. He will be your provider when you call on his name. So for Joseph, through those moments, he's humbled, yet God is with him. He grows in maturity, even while being mistreated and in captivity. God so beautifully leads him to a maturity that was never present in him or his family. Again, by God's providence, Joseph was, would be able to end up being able to save uh, his family and so many more from a famine that would destroy that region of the world. The whole family moved to Egypt to survive, including 
his aged and dying father. And here's where we'll pick up the story to learn uh, how we can grow. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they're now in the land of Egypt being saved from the famine and by Joseph. They said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transition of the servants of the Lord, uh, uh, sorry, the servants of God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came to him and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. God, we just pray that your word will reveal yourself to us. It will reveal something about your character, about your relationship with us, and how we can walk in relationship with each other. We thank you for your revelation that brings life. Amen. Just like in so many families today, Joseph's intentions are second-guessed and even assumed to be something other than he has shown. Others, even those who you love or love you, they might not accurately recognize what God is doing in your life, where he may have matured you. They may look at your life and see and say, you know, oh, well, they're just going to do what they've always done. And they're going to they're gonna cut you off from being able to express how God maybe has changed you and grown you, allow you to act different because they're not going to allow for you to mature. Now that their father had died, Joseph's brothers do exactly that. They mistakenly believe that he is treating them kindly only because of their father, Jacob. As soon as he dies, now he doesn't need to treat them kindly anymore. The favorite son of Jacob doesn't have to honor his father anymore. Now he can finally get retribution on his brothers who sold him into slavery. When they were younger, their envy distorted how they saw Joseph. And now their fear distorts him, distorts how they see him now. Envy and fear, those were their drivers that dictated their behavior. And Joseph, while he's connected to his family and not the arrogant dreamer that he used to be, they don't know that. They don't know that his drivers have changed, that he isn't arrogant and spoiled. They don't know anything, those things. And so they, they lie to him about his father's last words. They lied when they said, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. That's a complete lie. That wasn't something Joseph had actually instructed them to say to him. 
They only said it out of fear, hoping that that would ease that, uh, that relationship and, and uh, force Joseph to abide by this fabrication. In his youth, to get what he wanted, Jacob, their father, had used deceit. He had stolen things that weren't his in order to get his own way. And his sons, they've learned to live in that same pattern of behavior. And now, lying to their father, they had lied to him originally, their father about Joseph, saying that he had died when they had sold him into slavery. And now they are lying to Joseph about his father. It's seemingly a part of their family of origin. Doesn't it feel sometimes like something in our family just keeps, keeps happening generation after generation that just seems to be a part of our family that we can't get away from? God wants to break those things off. He doesn't want us to live habitually doing what one generation has done and then the next generation does their version of it and the next generation does the next. He doesn't want that to continue. God wants freedom for us. He wants to break those things off of our families. Joseph had learned another way. God had been maturing him emotionally and spiritually and he sees the hand of God at work in the midst of this family's dysfunction. Maybe that's why Joseph weeps. Maybe they still don't know him and his family is still broken and it causes him pain to see them that way when he has grown in God. We can only guess at that, but there's something we can hold on to that is much more valuable. We see Joseph's original dream come to pass, but Joseph is no longer who he was. He isn't the spoiled dreamer anymore. He said, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I'll provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Do not fear. Instead of using fear as a driver, love and acceptance are offered. I am not God. Instead of being controlling, God is leading. You meant it for evil. Instead of returning evil, forgiveness is offered. God turned it for good. Maturity is seen when God is allowed to use even the pain and suffering that happens in our lives. See, God doesn't cause or condone the awful things that happen in our lives that hurt families. And God isn't defined by the really good things or the truly bad things that happen in our families. We should read it as similar to Romans 8.28 where it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, God will use it for the good of those who are pursuing a loving relationship with him. 
not in perfection, but in persistence. As we grow to understand who God is and how God is working in our lives, even the trials that we go through, God will show us how we can grow more in him, how we can lean on him, how in our own strength we will fail. He will graciously use both our triumphs and our failures, both the weaknesses in our families and its strengths to show us who he is and how he wants us to grow. And even when your family doesn't see it all the same, what God does in you can be a blessing to them, bring healing to relationships. Here's the catch. In stories like this, who do we always want to, def- to identify with? The hero, right? We probably all read ourselves in there as, as Joseph, didn't we? How we're, we're the one that brings reconciliation to our family and how we're the ones that graciously accept them back in as they humbly come groveling at our feet. That's how we usually read it, don't we? But today, if we're ready, if we make room, it may be that the Holy Spirit wants to point out where we've been the brothers, where God's maturing process hasn't yet begun We haven't let him touch that area of our lives. And we're operating at a hurt, defensiveness, and fear. God wants to work in all things for your good today. If you'll humble yourself and let him. Now, I mentioned earlier that we are a part of a bigger family, the family of God. And that family of God is defined by a few changes Because our maturing in Christ should lead us in our new family to be potentially healthier than our families of origin. Yes, there's some great Christian families who are going to be strong and healthy, but this family should actually represent what healthy family looks like as we live in submission to Christ and treat each other in love. If we are humble, loving, willing, and teachable, the Holy Spirit is going to show us how to do so because the, the body of Christ should have an interdependence that has us and holds us. There should be a relying and a dependency on each other that is, a, that is a God-ordained quality. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7 and 14, 16, it says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. No matter who you are, what your talent, your gift, your spiritual gift is, they're all from God. So we're all coming together in that. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So amazing that by calling us a body, 
there implies a connectedness that is both natural and essential to our health. A foot can't just walk away because it isn't a hand. It wants to be a hand. The ear, the ear doesn't need the eye to hear. The ear needs the eye to see. There's a connectedness that each part of the body plays that the rest of the parts of the body absolutely need in order to function. When it comes to roles and gifts, talents and callings in the church, there's an imperative that we figure this out, that we wrestle this out, what it looks like, that we do not despise and envy or abuse other parts of the body. It is essential that whatever part of the body we are, we wholly perform in unison with the commands of our head, Jesus Christ, in unison with the rest of the body. As we walk this out in humility, like Joseph, declaring that we are not in the place of God, it should lead us to love. And we can address uh, issues of self-harm where we intend to hurt the body. We're from being in pain ourselves or causing pain from our unhealthiness. We can use Paul's words here and in chapter 13 on love to guide us in treating the ailments of the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ should know our position in the family. We should know our position. And this may surprise you where I'm going with this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our spiritual and emotional maturity will lead us to understand our position, our identity in the body of Christ. And Paul isn't specifically saying difference is gone because there's still male and female, Jewish, Greek, and those that are free and in slavery. He is saying that we are all positionally, before anything else, one in Christ Jesus. Our identity is in Christ first because we literally are dead to ourselves in sin but alive in him. We are not the head. None of us are. We can't decide things. We are the body. All of us, younger, older, newer, long-standing, mature or maturing, healthy or sick. And then after that, male, female, ethnicity, etc. We're all a part of the body. We're all one with him under his leadership, his guidance. But what marks us is our identity in Christ first, before anything else. Christ comes before and is in all that is of him. And that's the way biblical honor should flow. Not one way, but if we are in Christ, it flows both ways. It flows always between us to one another. Now, maturing and seeing these changes, they're hard. It's hard to see that play out in both our biological families 
and the body of Christ. It's hard to live those things out. Just as it was for Joseph and his brothers. And yet the one who is greater than Joseph, Jesus, taught us that God is our perfectly, perfect heavenly father. His character develops a new family trait for us. We pick up the traits of our heavenly father when we spend time with him and make room for him. We are his interconnected and equal body. So when it comes to our lives and our family, our family of origin matters. But God matters more. So today, as we close, Joseph knew what it was to be loved and favored. His brothers knew what jealousy and deceit could do and how it could poison their hearts. And like Joseph, to become emotionally healthy, we too must honestly face the truths about our family of origin while learning to trust God's faithful work. Like his brothers, moments come when we need to believe a better story that God redeems and repent from our unhealthy actions to our family, of origin or of church. We can't always assume that people will act like they have in the past. We can't always assume that they're always going to do the things that they've always done. They're always going to let us down the way they've always let us down. That isn't to blindly hope that they're always going to change when they aren't maturing, but we have to be able to believe that they can change because you've changed. You've allowed God to grow you. You're not the same person you were when God found you and God called you. By his grace, you've grown. Jesus saves. Jesus helps. Jesus changes. He did it for you. He can do it for others. He can do it for whoever's name you wrote on that card. He can show up. So some questions for us as we reflect, to reflect on before God. The first one, are others safe around you because you know you're not God? Are others safe around you because you know you're not God? And by God, I mean, do you see, do you think you're controlling and always right? Are you the person in the relationship that is always in control and is always right? That might be a bit of a God complex. Because that causes people to not be safe around you. So are others safe around you because you know you're not God? Number two, can you see where others fall short, God remains perfectly faithful. Can you see where others fall short, God remains perfectly faithful. Others will let you down. I will let you down. But can you see that God remains perfectly faithful when other people fail? Number three, will you repent of harm you are causing. Will you stop that harm and look to Jesus and keep your eyes on him, the perfecter of our faith? 
Will you ask forgiveness of harm that you've done? Fourth one, will you allow God to transform your view of family, maturing you emotionally and spiritually? Will you make room for him to refine you, to grow you, to be both emotionally and spiritually mature? If you didn't get a chance to, you can visit emotionallyhealthy.org to take their free emotionally healthy assessment just to give you a launching pad to see where am I emotionally. They've done some great work just to help us find where we kind of land in our emotional maturity that can help point us to ways that God wants to grow us. So I encourage you to visit that site, take that test and share it with somebody that can walk with you in that. Somebody who you can trust not to take advantage of you (laughs) for being an emotional child or an emotional adolescent, but somebody who wants to walk with you in love. As we close today, we have a family challenge for you here, uh, both as the family of God and, and individual families, that we would look to grow in our maturity as the body of Christ and as families. This week, invite someone in. Opposite of what Joseph's brothers did in excluding him and selling him off, invite someone in. Maybe it's a family from the church that God wants you to get to know better. Maybe it's someone from work that you need to meet and just have a coffee with and grow a relationship with. Maybe it's a neighbor, the person on the card that you wrote that that you need to invite to church. But take a step this week to grow in how you work on your relationships and how you grow in them. And let God do what he's going to do. Make room for him in those moments. Let's pray. God, we just thank you. We thank you that you love us so much, that you find us in the craziest of places, in the the most heartbreaking circumstances. And you call us to be your children. And you love us so much that you don't just invite us into that position but you help us to grow to be more like you that when we keep our eyes firmly fixed on you we start to pick up the traits of our father so God help us as a community to do that both in our biological or families of origin and here as the body of Christ May you continue to lead us and guide us to reflect your image in a way that brings you honor, that worships you, and expands your kingdom. We thank you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Pastor Ingrid. 